This is Mladen Ivanovic from Completary Training.net and in this uh, interview I'm talking with a friend of mine, Žarko Vučković. Uh, he's a general surgeon at Aspetar Orthopedic Hospital um, in Doha, Qatar. Um, I've taken some of his time to chat about some general um, things about uh, uh, injuries, especially uh, groin injury and sport hernia. Uh, thanks for your time and welcome to... Uh, Let's call it a podcast. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So um, let's let's quickly introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, how how long have you been working in Qatar, and uh, how did you end up there? Uh, hi to everyone. Uh, as Mladen said, I'm a general surgeon. I used to work in a in a general hospital here in Belgrade, Serbia, uh, until 2007, and I was also involved in sports as I was a doctor of national teams of uh, team physician of national teams of handball Serbia and uh, because of my love of sports and uh, my interest I were there for five six years and uh, at one point uh, I was invited to be the national team physician of uh, Qatar volleyball national team in 2007 and I wanted to see what is uh, this new challenge and uh, I ended up in Qatar then I as soon as I arrived I saw Aspeter Hospital and uh, which was a dream come true for every doctor who would like to work in sports medicine and sports surgery and finally after a, after a few years I ended up working there sub-specializing in uh, groin pain in athletes and this is my solely my uh, field of interest in the last Five six years. So, how long have you been in uh, Qatar? Eight years will be now in November altogether. And in Aspetar? In Aspetar, since two thousand six six years. Yeah. Can you can you explain a little bit about uh, the Aspetar model, if there is any? Uh, how is it similar and different compared to other systems of treating sport injuries? I would say that this is a almost a unique system. In what terms? There are probably but not too many similar hospitals in the world treating athletes covering uh, all aspects from sports medicine sports orthopedics and uh, sports physiotherapy including also sports science and research but the unique uh, thing about uh, Qatar uh, is that we have about Aspetar that we have also the national sports medicine program because uh, the hospital is uh, funded by uh, Qatar, Qatari government and uh, also all the, the sports teams are under the, uh, how would you say, uh, under the sponsorship of uh, Qatar Olympic Committee, and uh, which is closely related to Aspire Zone and Aspire Hospital. So we have the National Sports Medicine Program, which means we employ all the doctors and physiotherapists who are even fitness coaches for junior teams who are working in Food, in uh, sports teams in Qatar and nas- national teams also. So, what does that bring us? Uh, we have almost uh, full control of all uh, healthcare in in sports in Qatar. So, all the athletes they get treated at the end in hospital or in their clubs in hospital staff. So, it's very easy to if you want to do some research, you can get uh, easy easy access to you have easier access to data, and uh, you have a better follow up. And I think it's a pretty unique system, and also it uh, ensures that uh, all the uh, healthcare professionals in the clubs and federations 
are not so much under pressure of the team management per se because they also have uh, full support from Aspeter Hospital and this is their employer so they can uh, do their job of course in the interest of clubs because it is sports medicine which is different from general life but uh, they can do their job in the best interest of athletes. So it's also easier to to do ongoing screening and uh, educate the staff. All 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 athletes from uh, from Qatar and especially football teams, because of course football is the most important uh, sport in the world. Uh, all athletes go through uh, yearly screening in Aspeter. Yeah, we'll, we're, we're going to talk uh, more about the, the screen uh, protocol, uh, but let's talk about you know your your, your specialty, the sport hernia and uh, adductor injuries. And you know the umbrella term that's usually thrown around, groin-related pain. Um, you know, how did you end up, you know, special in that area? And um, you know, can you explain what, what are the, you know, just tell us a bit about your experience in in, in those two or three categories and uh, you know mechanism of injuries. Okay, uh, I ended up specializing in uh, groin pain because uh, as a general surgeon. The, basically, uh, the most prevalent uh, surgery for groin pain is uh, a type of hernia repair, which is what general surgeons usually do. There are also some surgeries done on the adductor muscles, which are uh, more in the field of orthopedic surgeons, but not so often. And uh, we have uh, in uh, groin pain, per se, like you said, uh, the preferred umbrella term is uh, uh, groin-related pain, uh, which is since uh, November last year we had a, a consensus meeting in Doha, Qatar where we uh, had 22 experts from all over the world uh, who contributed to a paper uh, where the main author was uh, my dear friend Adam Weir and uh, uh, 18 were on the spot together at one point discussing all day about uh, uh, terminology in growing pain because this is the first step for uh, comparing results and to to ensure that we're all talking in the same language. So uh, not to compare apples and oranges. So, exactly. So uh, we came to the conclusion that our preferred term is uh, uh, sports groin-related pain. And then uh, it can be uh, inguinal-related groin. So we have three main groups. One group is uh, inguinal-related groin pain, uh, adductor-related groin pain, iliopsoas-related groin pain, and pubic-related groin pain. Then the other group would be hip-related groin pain, and then the third group would be all the other causes of groin pain, which are not usually considered when you talk about groin pain, like uh, different uh, fractures, uh, uh, intra-abdominal, gynecological, urological abnormalities, etc. So this would be general medicine. This is not what we uh, talk about when we say groin pain. There's a lot of uh, prevalence of uh, hip problems, uh, and it has been proven that, uh, especially now, the children specialize earlier, that if children start, for example, playing football at younger age, uh, like uh, before 12, to train daily uh, and to specialize in one sport, there's a much more bigger incidence of uh, FIA, femoral acetabular impingement, uh, which uh, can cause different hip problems. But when it comes to, to groin pain, what we usually mean, it's... Uh, Mostly, uh, as uh, there was one uh, paper by uh, Professor Holmich, who is also our uh, the lead of our growing pain center in Aspeter, based in basically in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Uh, 
he uh, had a paper about entities and uh, where he defined that the most prevalent is adductor-related groin pain. It's like 60-70% of people. Then it would be like uh, uh, 15% of people have iliopsoas-related pain and uh, in their paper 5% have uh, uh, inguinal-related groin pain. That may be related to uh, his specialty because he's an orthopedic surgeon and probably people with inguinal pain go more to general surgeons and not uh, to an office of an orthopedic surgeon. But uh, what we we came to a conclusion that usually we have inguinal and adductor pain that are overlapping, and it depends which is the main pain, which is the thing that is causing more problems. Uh, but why you have overlapping, it is because that uh, ab- lateral abdominal muscles, where you have three layers, external oblique, internal oblique, and transversus, they are... Uh, their point of uh, of uh, insertion, yeah, is uh, at the pubic bone and over the pubic bone, and they in- the fibers intersect with the adductor fibers. So basically, it's like a continuum of the fascia going from the external oblique and uh, internal transversus conjoint tendon towards the uh, the adductor muscles. Also, you have a rectus muscle coming to the pubic bone where these muscles. Uh, join the rectus and then connect with the adductors. So it's always the balance between the adductors and the abdominal muscles. And uh, uh, in the 60s, to be precise, in 1967, the first surgical treatment, inguinal uh, surgery for groin pain was done by a Serbian surgeon, Dr. Nesovic, who was a football player himself and a doctor of the Red Star Football Club. He operated on a Red Star player uh, who had uh, groin pain and he had this idea that the adductors were very strong and the inguinal uh, the, and the abdominal wall inguinal canal was needed to be reinforced because the abdominals at that time were not uh, focus of training and they were weaker so he did an, like a hernia type bassini repair and uh, the player recovered and he started doing these surgeries more and more operated players from Real Madrid etc uh, later on so uh, he discovered that there is a connection between the inguinal canal and the adductors and that the uh, in, that abdominal muscles were weaker than the adductors and that's why you need to, to reinforce this compared to doing the adductor tenotomy like uh, weakening the adductors because there's too much tension on the pubic bone from the adductors. So since then there was hasn't been a huge improvement because you have a lot of people uh, doing surgeries on athletes, different types of uh, uh, inguinal repairs, which can be open or uh, uh, laparoscopic. Open can be with mesh or without a mesh. Laparoscopic is always with mesh. Uh, and different theories for pain. But uh, what you can see is that a lot of people are uh, only focused on their field of interest. So if you have general surgeon, they operate on the inguinal canal and this is what what they know from pathology side. Uh, if you talk with uh, some uh, expert physiotherapists or orthopedic surgeons, they're most more focused on the hip or or on the adductors. And uh, nowadays it's more and more recognized that iliopsoas can be a contributing factor for growing pain. And from my experience, I would say that it is usually, if it's primary, it, it is in long distance runners and uh, straight line running uh, with a large number of repetitions. But uh, even in uh, football players and other sports, iliopsoas is very often involved because it's a major stabilizer of the of the pelvis. So, when, once you start having 
uh, adductor or inguinal pain. The, I think iliopsoas is uh, trying to protect them, and there is an overuse of the, of the one. One quick question is: uh, uh, I think recently they they uh, they've been questioning the term iliopsoas, just saying that they are actually not a single muscle but uh, two muscle, muscles yes. and that might be innervated differently as well mm-hmm. they might have same insertion but they function as two different muscles so is that like what's your opinion my, my opinion it? is that it is when I see there is iliopsoas injury that if it's just overuse and you if they have rest from sport and they have physiotherapy exercise program for the other structures that usually this settles down but if it's a primary uh, injury the iliopsoas it's very difficult to treat and because, because of, the, like you mentioned, there are two muscles, this iliacus muscle and the psoas muscle, yeah. uh, coming from two different uh, sites, and they just insert together, like, in one tendon, but radiologists would see that there are different tendons mm-hmm. uh, on the insertion. Uh, I don't think, well, in clinical examination, of course, you cannot define, is it psoas or iliacus more yeah. uh, injured in when it comes to a tendon but sometimes you can uh, you can get some psoas tenderness when you palpate the psoas muscle through the abdominal wall and uh, and it can be tender on a straight leg raise during the palpation so uh, and then you can say okay psoas is more involved but there's no until now I haven't seen that there's a rule in which cases you will find psoas involvement in, in which not it, during the standardized examination this was also described from uh, Professor Holmick's paper uh, you have, I mean, you have to check the adductors, the inguinal canal, the iliopsoas muscles. Uh, there are different tests. There, in a, you have the squeeze test. You have a resisted uh, uh, hip adduction. Uh, you have uh, resisted sit-ups. You have uh, palpation of all the structures. It means rectal, distal rectal subdominis, pubic symphysis, pubic uh, uh, pubic bones with the, the uh, pubic tubercle where the abdominal walls uh, muscles uh, insert. And uh, and of course from the inferior side where the adductors insert, uh, what we can say that when you have the pain on the insertion of the muscle, uh, it is usually more difficult to treat, and uh, it is like all insertional tendinopathies, mm-hmm. like when the Achilles tendon when it's on the bone, it's more difficult to treat when it's to compared to two three centimeters above. But uh, uh, also Professor Holmich, uh, in his papers from '99 described that the exercise-based protocol for adductor-related groin pain. And in that paper, they uh, showed that they can, you can have 80% success in uh, uh, between 12 and 16 weeks of exercise-related, exercise-based uh, protocol. Um, the thing is, uh, this is a mod- two models. One model is two weeks, then you have uh, some other exercises added on uh, and this is something that probably can be improved because now it's been 16 years of development of uh, fitness, of uh, different types of training, of our knowledge in this field. But it is, uh, I mean, a huge landmark, this paper, because uh, the first uh, paper that showed that you need to work because tendons don't like rest. So you need to work, and with exercise, they will become better. With rest only, and medication or physiotherapy with uh, local modalities, ultrasound, laser, things like that, this doesn't help. So just resting the muscle doesn't, doesn't help. help, or the pain muscle will go, or tendon? Yeah. The pain will go down, but the, as soon as you come back to the field, the pain will come back. So 
in order what basically what we have we have a distortion of the of the structure of the of the tendon itself and instead of having a, a linear straight parallel lines straight structure regular uh, we have like a uh, a little bit of chaotic uh, zigzagging uh, something like yes, that yeah something like that and uh, and uh, that is what what you need to treat with uh, and the the, the matrix becomes becomes more fluid around the cells etc so you have to uh, you have to put some exercise, some some load on the tendon, but control load gradually increase in order for tendon to heal. So, in also we what we saw in some cases when you and it's also very difficult when it comes to highest level sport because if you put someone into exercise program and after three four months you don't have even if it's seventy eighty percent of success if you have these twenty thirty percent who don't come back become better and then you have to do surgery they feel that you already lost time after four months so sometimes you have to make this decision more quickly and uh, for me if you have someone who can do the exercise and you see regular progress in decreasing pain and uh, progress in strength and uh, the 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 level of exercise that that, uh, the patient can do i think you're on the right track and you have to follow daily monitor pain and monitor the progress but if you have someone after what a four to six weeks doesn't progress and cannot perform the exercises then you have to uh, probably so do uh, any especially if it's a long long history of yeah. like six months to one year then you probably have to do adductor tenotomy so basically you're suggesting before uh, doing any uh, operation try to do rehab as much as possible not as much as possible but i would say uh, because keep uh, tracking what and if it doesn't help you have to have uh, like a specialized person who knows a lot about this type of injuries, has experience with treating athletes. And then this is what, because we don't have at this moment enough scientific proof for different things, but if you have uh, experts with, uh, with, I mean, enough experience in this field, they can they can see if someone is progressing or not. And, and then I would, I would never operate on anyone unless I'm sure that he had proper, at least four, Four weeks of proper physiotherapy with okay. some on a good level center. It doesn't have to be in hospital, but uh, uh, from our side, I know that we have some good physiotherapy. That's like where, a safety, yes. Say a safety, safety check or safety. Yes. You know, well, because, because many times it happened a few times that I was pretty sure that somebody would need surgery, but after four weeks with us in physiotherapy, they would recover. And then it makes you think a little bit. And uh, like, if if you take total time, if you take total time, that you might lose based on uh, this let's say four week period mm-hmm. and talking about you know high level sports where every every day counts you want to to, to get a player back on a, on a pitch as soon as possible uh, like when you compare different strategies say uh, you know you, you you operate immediately uh, then you have a rehab period uh, compared to uh, okay let's try four four weeks of aggressive uh, let's call it prehab or rehab and then you know if something happens then we operate and then again we have um, you know return to play protocol yeah um, speaking about let's say probabilities like what's what's the more probable and what's the I, I will say uh, I forgot the the statistic term uh, expected loss expected time loss time okay. loss but the, what, how I see it and I, like I said I, I don't have strict data and I cannot at the moment prove this uh, scientifically and we have a lot of work to do in this in this uh, for these terms but uh, I would say that if you do four weeks of uh, of good uh, prehabilitation before surgery it's not a time, lost time because you still have to uh, 
work on all the structures that can be affected or that can contribute to, to treatment. So all you have to rebuild all the muscles, the muscle neuromuscular control, the, the, the way of uh, moving, biomechanics, etc. So, uh, and you know better than me, all expert fitness will say that uh, you cannot rebuild a muscle in two or three weeks. You need, you need time, yes. it, it, three to six months to have some results, some proper results in, in good training. So four weeks, I would let's make it simple, four weeks of prehab maybe adds, you have in the total lost time, if you give them four weeks of prehab, maybe they stay two weeks more after they spend two, then if you operate it immediately, but then at least you're sure that they needed surgery, they just didn't operate Makes someone. Makes sense. Someone. Is, um, is, is having a aggressive prehab helping with uh, uh, rehabilitation, you know, rehabilitation afterwards? Of course. So it yes. can speed up. It's like preparing for exactly. ACL injury by building a quad muscle. Exactly. If you just if you just if you operate immediately and then you have to rebuild muscles, maybe you need uh, extra time. Maybe yeah. you need three months, and uh, and if you just uh, okay, someone can come to play earlier, and we can, this is also something we can discuss. You can b- get someone back to play in one month, but you didn't probably correct all the imbalances that he had because if I go to the gym and I want to. Uh, to look like a high-level athlete, I cannot do it in one in one month. Probably I won't won't, won't be able in one year. But uh, an athlete who is not ready, you need months to, to get him ready, not yeah. not uh, four weeks. It's yeah, exactly. If you get someone who is not trained and you want to uh, uh, get him to uh, compete in the highest level competition in four weeks, it's impossible. So you know better than me that this needs time. And for me, this is uh, because I have. I can say a lot of passion for sports and a, and a lot of experience working as a doctor with, with athletes. Uh, you need time to rebuild muscles. And this is just the, the crucial point where is the pain and you can treat it with surgery. But if you don't correct all the things that led to, to this injury, you will have a recurrence of injury. So it means that he needs that. that and, and what we have, what I would say as the most crucial uh, part for training, it's uh, the core, the abdominal muscles, the back muscles, uh, working on the on the right movement patterns and on the uh, drawing in of the abdominal wall, controlling the transversus, and this is like with biofeedback exercises. Then you have proprioceptive exercises, then uh, uh, gluteus medius with the adductors to be in balance, adductor and adductors. Then, uh, like you said, of course you have to have to have also hamstrings and quads. Everything needs to be in balance because all this helps that uh, you can control the movement. You have the proper swing phase, hocking phase, swing phase, follow follow through, and it's not a jerking movement. It's a controlled movement. Whatever you play, is it? I mean, speaking of that, what's the uh, what's the mechanism of the injury? Is it more you know acute or more chronic or you can, you can have both. You can have both. You can have acute or chronic. Uh, and it's different. In acute injuries, you, you have much more adductor injuries, especially adductor longus yeah. tears. Uh, in uh, then when we when we talk about pathology, then you can have uh, if it's insidious onset uh, like a chronic injury, then you can have uh, like a type of adductor longus tendinopathy. Some people advocate that it's adductor brevis. They used to call it the Gracilis syndrome before, etc. From my experience, the the huge majority of uh, patients have a doctor lungs related problems uh, on the other side on in the inguinal canal it's much more uh, uh, like insidious slow onset mm-hmm. of uh, of the injury and what we have here is uh, in the inguinal canal uh, the way the the muscles work you have the first the external oblique which is like the the first layer 
and it has the opening of the external uh, external inguinal ring, and then below you have the uh, in, uh, internal oblique and transversus, and they form an arc above the the spermatic cord in the inguinal, like from the roof of the inguinal canal, and they insert with the rectus abdominis on the pubic bone. So uh, sometimes uh, the insertion is a little higher. And then these these muscles, when you when you have uh, abdominal straining, instead of going down and protecting the the posterior wall, if they're inserted a little bit higher, they cannot protect completely mm-hmm. the, the posterior wall. And then all the pressure that you have from the inside goes through the this bare area of the of the posterior wall of the inguinal canal, and that can cause some bulging, weakness and bulging, and this can comp- compress some nerves. This is one of the theories. The other theory can be that uh, there's because of uh, not enough strength and not enough control in the movement of the muscles, you can have some like a chronic uh, muscle injury or chronic tendinopathy, etc. And then uh, maybe the surgery helps just with, with suturing, going with the needle through the muscle. Yeah. It's some kind of uh, like a PRP, natural PRP theory, uh, treatment that you have some cause some bleeding with the needle and this helps the healing with, of course, uh, reinforcing the wall. So uh, sometimes you can see that the, the the muscles are a little bit harder. They feel like a little bit fibrotic, like something mm-hmm. like a chronic something chronic going there. On there, do is there may are there maybe some uh, uh, chemical mediators, inflammatory mediators? We don't know in, in this area. Maybe it's like a chronic inflammatory process, and this is affecting the nerves, and that's why you you have pain. Uh, so is it the pressure from the from the posterior wall? On the nerves, or is it uh, something, some a chemical? Uh, we don't stimuli? know. Is it the chicken or the egg? So exactly. We don't maybe know. it's the pain causing a spasm, or exactly. But uh, but uh, there could be uh, both because we can see that uh, a lot of people have wide uh, who have inguinal pain. They have wide inguinal external internal rings, and they have a little pain on palpation, and they have pain on the cough impulse, and you can see, feel a little bit of bulging. It's like a, a begin, almost like a beginning of a direct hernia. And we also, we, I wouldn't be sure that uh, if these people were not athletes and didn't have these strains, maybe they in the future they would develop a direct hernia. Mm-hmm. So can we, if they let's can say, uh, can we screen for potential potential uh, you know athletes who can it, develop? It has been it has been proven through papers that uh, the major uh, risk factors for groin injuries are previous groin injury, number one, and uh, adductor weakness. That's number two. This is a huge significance difference. Also, there was a paper from Canada in ice hockey that uh, also proved that uh, uh, off-season deconditioning mm-hmm. contrib- contributes to Just a Just abrupt uh, change in activity levels. Well, if they have a big uh, big gap in the season and, and they don't maintain their fitness... Yeah. There are bigger risk one, of, of one quick question. You just said that uh, adductor weakness could be a potential uh, cause, mm-hmm. uh, but previously you said it's the ratio between earlier theories, yeah. the, uh, the ratio between adductors, adductors being too strong compared to the to the uh, abdominal. abdominal wall. Yes. So what's the what's well, the, the in, difference? In uh, what's the difference? For me, uh, I didn't go into detail so much, but I believe, like uh, just plain logic, that you need to have all these muscles in some kind of balance. So if the abdominal wall is weak and the adductors are strong, they'll probably pull more. So you might get more... um, uh, On the insertion of the adductor longus, you can have more pain. Uh, Maybe with uh, weak adductors, it's more more tendon pain, more tendinopathy. But again, 
you don't have because of the weakness of us you don't have full control mm-hmm. of the of the kick or whatever yeah, one quick question with the regarding the inguinal um, category let's mm-hmm. call it uh, I developed a couple of years back a, a, a symptom of a hernia but didn't get any bulging mm-hmm. and uh, I went to a, a, a doctor to, to check he, he put a couple of fingers inside the inguinal canal and said that there's no bulging there's no opening uh, but he said that the, the 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 abdominal wall was weak, and I didn't have any symptoms when I cough and I sneeze or whatever. But when I go in a push-up position, when I develop intra-abdominal pressure, uh, I I get a pain. And for example, if I'm lying on my back and I try to keep my lower back flat on the ground, and I try to lift one leg like a hip flexion, mm-hmm. I get a I get a symptoms. And basically, he said that you know since there's no um, uh, bulging or breaking breaking in a in a wall or uh, or fascia, he said that fascia might uh, become thinner, uh, something like that. And what I did back then is I did a lot of hip flexion. Uh, and this is a question I want to come back later. We did a lot of, in, a, in quotation mark, uh, lower abdomen exercises. If, if there is upper or lower mm-hmm. abdomen, uh, that's one, you know, a mitt or whatever. That's one hot topic. It, it used to be a hot topic before in uh, strength conditioning. So I did a lot of leg rises. I did some PNF diagonals, so lying on your back, and I did, uh, you know, I put uh, ankle weights and I did the PNF diagonals mm-hmm. across the body, and that hits a little bit of uh, transversus because I need to stabilize the pelvis. And I also engaged the adductors, and after some time, it, you know, it calmed down. And it's, I would say, it's a little bit returning. So my question is, uh, without going into my particular <laughs> problems, is um, uh, the, the sport hernia is it okay let's so now the synonym with the sport hernia uh, is uh, inguinal uh, problems right and what about the you know the one with when you have a bulging and when you don't it's a uh, it's again uh, at the moment we call it uh, sport hernia a misnomer because there is no hernia per se there is the weakness of the posterior wall sometimes it is true when you operate a patient and you uh, you can see that there is a small direct hernia. This is one, one type of injury. But uh, many times you see, just see a flat posterior wall, but with some weakness on, on palpation. So you don't feel it's like a little bit, one part of the, this posterior wall is when you go with your fingers is a little bit floppy. Maybe in the future, this, this is just the origin of a future direct hernia. We don't know. But mm. at that moment, you don't have a hernia. So you have like, maybe this is what you had, like a, a, a weak wall, posterior wall, and you can have on if you did the ultrasound, you would see maybe some bulging. Uh, that this changes your shape when you strain your abdominal muscles. Probably, if it's not uh, a big, uh, I mean, if uh, what we call the shutter mechanism, the when the muscles go down to the inguinal ligament and mm-hmm. protect the posterior wall, if this defect is not too big, probably you can with some uh, uh, fitness training, strengthening of the abdominal wall, maybe you can uh, increase. The, the coverage of the posterior wall, the, the shutter mechanism, and uh, you can have a, you can treat your pain. But maybe also, like I said before, you have this, maybe this weakness is like a, a weak, soft muscles. Are the, the reason for this is a chronic injury, chronic uh, small micro trauma of the muscle. And that maybe uh, maybe because of a small pain that impairs the the innervation and uh, the muscle is not contracting properly, and 
then with stre- strengthening you can get it back re-educate fo- it re- yeah and get it back to football now this is uh, all theories I cannot really say this is you know the real truth or if we find this this will be like the holy grail in the uh, <laughs> of you uh, uh, <laughs> know uh, uh, pain but uh, my theory also is that uh, I would say uh, but all you guys from from the strength and conditioning know much more about this uh, I would like my patients to try to do more abdominals from the uh, uh, trunk extension position because when I watch athletes perform rarely you have bending flexing your body in sports it's usually first hyperextension and then you have this movement like a hyperextension and then trunk flexion and not like a flexion from the straight standing yeah. position this is not a physiological movement in sport so and maybe maybe this is a short or longer lever of of, uh, of work maybe this can change uh, uh, the the load of the muscles and then maybe it can contribute to treatment I don't know it's just just a theory uh, I mean it would be nice to try just changing one type of abdominal strengthening exercise and see what maybe there's no difference but uh, and even if we prove this we advance in, in the scientific uh, knowledge so yeah let's um, let's talk about you know you mentioned a little bit um, you know the diagnosis or clinical exam procedures uh, you know how do we you know let's let's say how how can a coach or a physical therapist working in a club quickly uh, make any diagnosis and try to differentiate between different uh, uh, different uh, groin related uh, syndromes um, what like movement screens can be used uh, what can be uh, monitored across the season uh, like physical tests or uh, let's say a groin squeeze whatever um, and uh, you know what, what can we do to to prevent it or and and check if something is happening mm-hmm. to to make some intervention before it happens for me there's two different uh, kinds of examination one one kind is when you have someone who is already injured and has pain and then i check him in my office in the clinic and this you already have to have a significant am- amount level of pain for me to be able to detect it so what i'm trying to say in this case then it's pretty straightforward what we defined until now so if you have uh pain on the pubic bone or pubic symphysis pubic bone palpation it's pubic related groin pain then if you have pain on palpation of the uh, inguinal region it means conjoint tendon uh, inguinal ligament pubic tubercle uh, maybe uh, coughing positive coughing pulse etc it's inguinal related groin pain then you go to the adductors you palpate the insertion of the muscle on the pubic bone the muscle itself the muscle belly uh, also not on, on only the adductor longus, sometimes it's pectineus muscle, brevis, gracilis, you check all of this. And then you have, uh, I mean, resisted contraction tests, like uh, resisted sit-ups, you have resisted hip adduction, you have the squeeze test in different uh, angles, and uh, that can cause pain. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So the situation, then iliopsoas also, you can palpate iliopsoas right below the inguinal ligament and sartorius muscle. Uh, and especially if you palpate and then have a straight leg raise, you can have pain there. So maybe you had also, in your case, uh, iliopsoas-related pain with the inguinal-related pain, an overlap of both entries. Yes. Uh, like I said before, you can also palpate the psoas through the abdominal wall. Uh, you check for hip range of motion, uh, uh, flexion, abduction, uh, external rotation test, or flexion, abduction, internal rotation 
Fadir and Faber tests, mm-hmm. and that they can uh, they can just uh, tell you that there might be some heat problems, but they're not uh, conclusive. And uh, this is the the standardized examination that we do in our clinic. But sometimes you can have an athlete who says, "I have pain with playing football or whatever," and comes to my office. I examine him; he doesn't have pain. It doesn't mean that he's lying. It is just the the it is much less strain what I put in the in the office than what you have an on athlete the field. on the field. So uh, sometimes we have someone doing recovery and he can he has fantastic recovery in physiotherapy. He has no pain in clinical examination, and then we have sport specific rehabilitation in the last stages when he have has full effort or kicking from full speed, crossing the ball with full speed, etc., or changing direction, then he can feel pain in certain moments. Then maybe you have to do surgery, and many times it helps. And don't ask me why. At the moment, uh, we know it helps. There are theories, but I cannot say for sure this is because of this or that. What I'm trying to say is uh, when you follow the athlete on the field, it's much easier for people involved with the club because you can uh, see how he moves. You can detect the deficits. We, in our screening, we do uh, uh, the we do the the adduction. Uh, uh, if there's a check, if there's any uh, uh, shortening of the adductor muscles, and uh, like a fallout uh, knees on the on lying, so it means like you put all the both legs in normal ab- uh, abduction. You see how how far they can go to the to the examination table. Yeah, uh, and you can measure the angles. And, you, and uh, it, the theory is that uh, when there is a shortening of the muscle, it's maybe uh, a risk factor for, for injury. This is something also to be... Now there is a, a study done in, uh, in uh, Aspeter by our PhD student, Andrea Mosler, uh, from Australia. And she is following this. And uh, also you can do uh, with dynamometer, uh, handheld dynamometer, you can feel the, the muscle strength. The, the squeeze test, the, right? Okay, you can do the squeeze test. You can do it with a dynamometer. If you don't have the dynamometer, you can do it with just plain uh, cheap, uh, uh, yeah, uh, hypertension uh, cuff, yeah, blood pressure uh, monitoring cuff, and uh, see how how much they can squeeze. And uh, but but also you can you can see the way the athlete is mo- the athlete is moving, if he's running properly, if there's any. Uh, if there's Trendelenburg, functional Trendelenburg on the field, if the pelvis is uh, falling when he lifts his leg, uh, yeah, the way he, if the, the, the motion of running is proper, of the motion of kicking, if there's too much jerking movement, if he can control the kick with his body and all these, all these uh, sport elements, this is what uh, we are kind of handicapped in the office because I don't see this. Probably if I could, you would have more insight into the injury. That's why you have an integrated model. Exactly. That's why like you have PTs people. working in the clubs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, uh, let's say f- idea, for, for example, you said that the guys who might be prone to develop these symptoms uh, might have different insertion of the muscles. So what about, let's say you, you want to buy a player. I'm just talk, talking yeah. theoretically. And uh, some clubs actually might do a full body MRI scan, and it's you're not gonna say okay, you're not gonna we're not gonna buy you because of you know your insertion is higher, but you can have a pre and post. Uh, for example, something happens, you have something to compare with, right? Um, can we do a let's say a, a ultrasound of the uh, groin area just to see if if the as you said maybe some 
uh, athletes might have different insertions. You can do you can do an ultrasound of the inguinal area, and you can see if there is a if there is this uh, bulging of the posterior wall. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about the healthy guys. Even even healthy guys, uh, there is a consensus in the radiology community that, for example, if you take uh, the whole team of athletes, probably half of them will have uh, inguinal bulging and they don't have pain. Yeah, same same with the disc uh, yeah, uh, hernia with the exactly uh, on the MRI. Yeah. So if you do if you do uh, if you do this type of screen, now it would be interesting to do a screen and then follow them for a couple of years and see how many of those develop growing pain or not and see why. So it's like it's like for the ACL when we say it's the 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 question of the mechanism of non-injury because mm-hmm. you have someone do a lot of people doing the same thing. And 99% don't get injured, and this 1% gets injured. We need to find why. So, from for now, we found that uh, pre-season adductor weakness is a contributing factor for the adductor-related pain. Probably uh, inguinal or abdominal wall weakness and uh, very strong adductors are uh, the contributing factor for inguinal-related pain. Or iliopsoas because it has to do more stabilizing uh, function. But... Uh, and of course, we, when we know that the previous groin injury is a risk factor, so when some, you know that somebody had a groin injury, he needs to have a maintain, maintenance uh, uh, strength exercise program for all these muscles involved. So to from time to time to do his exercises for, uh, and especially if he feels a little bit of discomfort, not even pain in this area, they need to start uh, more, communicate with the with the, the staff, staff, with the physiotherapist, yeah. with the fitness coach, and then uh, manage the load a little bit and uh, start doing their rehabilitation program while continuing training and see if it works. If not, if the pain still is still there, then they have to stop training and do only that. So, but it's very important to treat it at the early stage. When you, but in terms of screening, if what you said, and you have to buy a multi-million dollar player. And you do screening, you see he has some bulging or he has some uh, higher insertion of muscle, whatever. This is not going to say you're not going to buy this player because yeah, exactly. it can be asymptomatic all his career. But just, let, let's say we need to create a, a, four, a two by two table, or yeah. a, uh, it's called confusion matrix in um, in uh, data science. So let's say you said that uh, some of the guys having a a, a weird let's say reading weird picture on MRI or ultrasound but they don't develop symptoms but can we have uh, guys that uh, actually develop symptoms and don't have those weird readings yes so you can have you all can have four both. combinations you can have both but it's uh, it's very rare that you have someone with inguinal pain that doesn't uh, uh, doesn't resolve with some uh, uh, rehabilitation and he doesn't have any bulging or uh, wide ring or something like this on the other hand probably you can have people who have normal adductors and then they have they can develop uh, adductor related pain so um, um, you you already mentioned that uh, screening for adductor uh, strength um, you know flexibility of the internal external rotators and uh, hip flexor uh, let's call it abdominal wall stability and control um, and uh, you know we can use those exercises as a prehab just make sure that you know we you know we hit those check marks sort of speaking uh, is that similar with uh, re- return to play protocol is that prehab and rehab s- same 
Probably yes. Of course, in the return to play protocol, you probably address the the injured muscles more, all the deficits that you find. But of course, uh, I think it would be a mistake just to focus on on these muscles and not. You have to treat the whole patient, the yeah, whole exactly. athlete, to get him back to the field. Because if you just treat this and you don't, you forget some other muscles, then they would be in danger of having an injury. So in the later stage, what you usually tell athletes before going back, I say we can, we don't want to return you to the point before of before the injury. Because we need to make you better. If you were good at that time, you wouldn't get injured. So we don't want to get you at this point. We we need to improve you so you don't come back to us. Sometimes we used to say that injury is a you know uh, is a chance also to uh, hit some different things. Uh, maybe work on something else that you ne- neglected, and that actually might be a cause of the injury. So let's say a lower body injury. You know you can the athletes can pretty much hit the upper body much more. Uh, you know, maybe use some imaging techniques, you know, just to don't forget the skill uh, and, you know, stuff like that. We need to f- figure out what they can do and not focus on what they can't do. Uh, one thing um, you recently, uh, I don't know if you operated or you helped with the uh, operation with uh, a common friend of ours who works for uh, uh, Aspire. Uh, and he said that compared to a, a rehab done in, in this region, Croatia and Serbia, uh, that the rehab starts basically right immediately after operation, which is fascinating. Uh, so he, he had um, assistance or uh, PTs coming right after, the basically right after the operation. He was still uh, fuzzy after uh, the uh, anesthesia. Anesthesia, yeah, and they did a mobilization, and you know they already started working on a on a on a rehab. And I heard stories here in Serbia. Luckily, knock on wood, I didn't have any operations. That you know the doctors are just you know just rest, or uh, they they don't. I would say they don't give a shit, but. <laughs> It's not only Serbia, it's uh, uh, probably uh, it would be more prevalent doing it like this defensive way. It's an old school type of uh, treating patients. and uh, Go home and recover, basically. Yeah, and rest because the thing, you, you have people who are doing the surgeries and are not really involved in sports, for example. And for them, it's just, okay, we will recover. So what's the big deal? One month or two months. Yeah, exactly. It's very important to start from day one. And it's very important to have your surgery to have... Uh, have it done by someone who is also involved in sports, who understands the recovery times, who understands the process. And the first few days are crucial because if you start moving immediately through some pain, it doesn't matter if you feel a little bit of pain, it will not kill you, but it will help you uh, really speed up your recovery. Uh, what can also help, which is nowadays, uh, I would this should be like a gold standard, but still not uh, implemented everywhere. What you try to do is when we whatever is the anesthesia if you do local anesthesia surgery only on one side it is uh, it helps in uh, recovery because with long stand long lasting anesthetics they in the first few hours they're not so painful so you can teach them getting back to to walk immediately mm-hmm. and then uh, this helps the recovery the if if we have to do both sides uh, in one act one both thing you know repairs at once and you do it general anesthesia for example i would always you also use uh, local anesthesia throughout the surgery and a lot of local after as much as we can give because we cannot do both sides in local anesthesia because of the amount of anesthetics that you can give before it becomes toxic but uh, but uh, you can there is a certain amount that you can give on both sides divided and i uh, try to give it 
always, and this we, we found out this helps in post-operative recovery. They have much less pain initially in the first uh, 12 hours, and uh, that's how they can start their rehab immediately. And then you shouldn't be afraid of uh, some discomfort or, or pain during the uh, initial phase. It's normal to have some pain after surgery. Uh, if the pain is on a very vast score, scale, uh, up to 3, 4 out of 10, I wouldn't be worried. Mm-hmm. It's the important thing is to monitor pain. And if the pain, this pain is not increasing, after you're, you, you increase the, the amount of movement that you do throughout the day, then uh, I would say that you're on the, on the right track and uh, just continue. Keep, your, keep on keep going. Uh, what, what are the techniques now used in uh, treating the uh, inguinal alcoholic hernia? What? In terms of surgery? Yeah, in terms of surgery, what do you, uh, you know, how do you so, uh, fix that? In the hernia surgery, if you do, you can have like uh, now the common procedures are uh, open non-mesh procedure. The gold standard is shoulder repair, which was developed in uh, Canada uh, near Toronto in the Shoulders Institute uh, in the 40s, 50s. Uh, so they, they do like, it's like a continuous four layer, continuous suture, two sutures, four layer repair. Uh, then uh, there was the development of uh, different uh, prostheses, the mesh techniques, and now the most commonly used is Liechtenstein procedure, which is like uh, just with the mesh you reinforce the posterior wall. It is, you can say, technically less demanding. It can have some risk of uh, mesh-related complications. The risk is, to be honest, very, very low, almost nothing. But if you have an athlete with uh, this rejection of the foreign body or something like this, this can be a catastrophe. Uh, then the Dr. Mushovek, who is also our affiliating surgeon from uh, Munich, she developed uh, uh, a so-called mini, she calls it, because she's very modest, she calls it min- minimal repair, and I call it the Mushovek repair because all other... <laughs> Procedures are named after someone, so she can also have procedures her name, named yeah. after her. Uh, uh, which is, instead of uh, in, in shoulders repair, you have to open the posterior wall, this fascia transversalis, yeah. completely from the uh, internal ring to the pubic tubercle. And she discovered that if you just open it partly, where from the internal ring, just on the level where the you have this bulging, this weakness of the posterior wall, if you just have... Uh, a small opening fascia transversalis and then you do the overlapping procedure which is technical surgical details not so interesting for everyone uh, you can have a faster recovery and the you don't use a mesh and it's a safe good procedure it needs a, it's a normal procedure as you said or it, a little it just it's a modification you can say a modification of the shoulders procedure okay but uh, uh, like a, with a bit of less less tension and probably this gives a faster recovery uh, then you have now also people are using uh, laparoscopic techniques, which can be uh, two types, transabdominal preperitoneal, which means you go with the instruments inside the abdomen, and then from the inside, you open the peritoneum, and uh, and then you put the mesh from the between the peritoneum and the fascia. Posterior fascia side, right? Size, yes. And, uh, and then you, you close the peritoneum, or uh, then uh, later develop the... the total extraperitoneal technique where you, uh, with, with the gas, with the balloon, you insufflate the, the space between the peritoneum and the, and the fascia, so you don't go inside the abdomen, mm-hmm. you just before on the, in the in, uh, preperitoneal space, and then you can make it larger with some, some gas, with the balloon, and then put a mesh in this place without opening the, 
the the evolved, the, 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 the peritoneum and going inside uh-huh. the, the abdomen, which is an intact uh, area. So the thing is, uh, all these procedures involve mesh placement. My personal opinion is, if you can do a repair, which is with similar results and not using a foreign material like with with a mesh. It's, it's, it is true that nowadays we have better meshes which are lightweight, uh, large pore, uh, better integration with the tissue, etc. But still, if there's any chance of having a complication because of the mesh and I can do something with the suture, I would try it with the suture and then keep the mesh as, a, as the second stage, as a more, more, uh, more yeah. heavy. What about repair. the adductor uh, issues, like let's say a tendinopathy? Again, there you have a... Uh, some people are doing percutaneous uh, adductor brevis tenotomy. Someone is doing uh, uh, adductor longus percutaneous tenotomy. Uh, I prefer to do an open procedure, not just a blind cut through the with a small incision with the skin and cutting blindly the, the tendon. I like to make a small incision on the skin, open the area, see what what they really need to cut, and it's like a. It's a, you can say it's a similar procedure what someone sometimes uh, uh, elbow surgeons do on tennis elbow which is not recovering with any rehabilitation and you have like a small uh, tenotomy of uh, brachyradialis muscle just uh, cutting the, the the insertion and pushing it down and then you have some scarring after so it's like a, some type of scar elongation of the of the tendon and during this healing time you have uh, you don't have any more the, the tension on the insertion on the bone. So you, you we call it uh, releasing the yes, adductor. adductor. Like so that, right? re- releasing of the adductor longus. And so you have to, because the adductor longus on the, on the insertion, it's just above the, the adductor brevis. And it, and on the point of insertion, when you see the whole muscle, it's not like the, the Achilles tendon, for example, which is all tendon. Here you have 30% is tendon and, uh, and, uh, and 70% is the muscle. So it's like a triangular tendon mm-hmm. and only on the point of insertion itself there's full tendon uh, and not so the muscle if, if, if there's a tendinopathy and then you cut so you basically uh, try to let's say uh, jump start the rehab uh, cir- circuit the thing is usually it's almost exclusively used for the, the for the insertional uh, tendinopathy or adductor related growing pain which involves the insertion of the muscle and then the theory is because it's pulling on the on the bone on the periosteum and there's pain chronic pain on palpation and because of this pain they cannot do any 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 exercise uh, and if you cannot improve in your exercise then there's no point you cannot uh, get the tendon healed so if you if you cut the tendon completely then and move it down a little bit i think it uh, scars first to the adductor brevis which is right underneath and i would compare this to you know the exercise when uh, uh, when we are ki- we were kids and somebody says I can do a pull ups on one arm, but he grabs the bar with one, ar- one arm and grabs the other arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's essentially so, so double basically, arm. Yeah, basically two arms. Just you're handing, holding the bar with one arm. So this is so the same situation basically. what you have here because when you cut the adductor longus, push it down, it scars to the adductor brevis. So it still has a function, and then over time uh, the, with some scar tissue it grows back mm-hmm. towards the tendon but you had during this time time for the bone to recover because there's no less pulling almost nothing and uh, and you have some elongation of the muscle and usually they they do good usually what's the what's the prognosis after the 
uh, after the you know both types of uh, uh, surgeries, and I'm talking about uh, high-level athletes. Uh, what's the prognosis and what's the reoccurrence? I always say uh, two to three months, and uh, why? Because of what we discussed at the beginning. Because you also need to re-educate and to strengthen all the muscles. A lot of them are really, really good already after one month. And then the question is, are you going to reintegrate them on the field and let the coach put them on the field whenever they want after four to six weeks? Or you, I prefer to have them in a sports-specific rehabilitation and to make sure and do fitness They follow our return and, and, to play. And to know when they come back that they are really fully capable of joining the team and not to, to have the record. So in this way, you, can, uh, you should hope that there is no recurrence. In, uh, in injuries. Okay. Um, what about the uh, potential side effects of the of the surgery? What could be our com- complications? What's, well, what's in with, your with every experience? Surgery, with every surgery you can have uh, a complication, but in uh, skilled hands it's uh, even minor complications like some uh, post-operative hematoma or uh, superficial wound infection or something is, should be below 1% of occurrence yeah of course you should be i mean trained well and uh, uh not to injure basic elements in this in this region uh, like in every other surgery and shouldn't be i mean in the skilled hands it is not uh, as soon as you operate surgery. you you basically risk <laughs> something well, right? of course in every surgery you 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 have to undertake some risks uh, starting from anesthesia, reaction to medication, whatever. But uh, and and again, we don't know. We are all not the same. And some people recover faster, some recover slower. So we can say, in terms of statistics, in generally how like the majority of people recover in this period of time. Of course, sometimes uh, things don't go as well as planned, and you know many athletes in for different injuries who had to end up their career, and some other recover from these surgeries and continue playing. So. Just to wrap up this uh, uh, this part of the interview regarding the uh, surgery, uh, before we jump to uh, uh, listeners or uh, or um, questions from from readers, I posted I posted um, a Facebook post on my wall and asked for a couple of questions from from the readers. Uh, so before before doing that, uh, what would you say? What's the future in this area? Like what what does future brings? What does future bring? The future in this area, first, after we start using the same terminology, then the next step is to do more and more scientific studies. It's uh, difficult to do randomized controlled trials in uh, highest level sports because highest level athletes, they, don't, they want to be treated in the best possible way, not to undergo uh, scientific studies. Not to be a controlled subject. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but you can have probably with uh, good... Uh, uh, good structured prospective studies, cohort studies, you can have some, some conclusions and some results. And this is uh, what we need to do and compare different uh, treatments in terms of physiotherapy. Then we can compare, uh, have real studies comparing different surgical techniques to see if really there is any difference in this. Uh, there is, we want to do a study on uh, taking some uh, tissue samples and see if there is any collagen deficiency uh, in this uh, in this area, in inguinal area, especially because uh, we know that behind hernia pathology there is uh, usually collagen deficiency, and this is why people use mesh reinforcement. Yeah, because can that collagen? Sorry for interrupting. Uh, can cannot be systematic. Like for yeah, example, is, some guys have a hypermobility syndrome, 
it is a systematic it's a it's a characteristic of your body so some people have a uh, level uh, collagen one collagen three ratio which is uh, one is stronger one is weaker so you have in the uh, uh, fresh wounds you have uh, the weaker collagen and then uh, in mature wounds you have the scar tissue made of uh, strong collagen Just more thicker prevalent. and stronger stiffer, so if, if right. you have this ratio is not uh, uh, as it should be and you have more weaker than stronger maybe this there's a difference in like marfan syndromes or uh, echler danlos syndrome uh, related to collagen deficiency so just just a thought was do we have any collagen deficiency in this area do are these uh, athletes uh, injured because they're predisposed to injury because of collagen deficiency. This is something that we need to find out. And then maybe in this case we will need to, to use the mesh repair even for athletes. So it will prove me wrong, but uh, it doesn't matter if it helps uh, science. I'm all in <laughs> for that. Uh, then we have to do... Uh, so there's a study going on now, uh, you know, just started in our hospital comparing the results of uh, first conservative treatment for ingredient repair and see how many of these athletes end up having surgeries. Then you can have, compare the time for return to play if you have a good uh, good study comparing uh, conservative treatment and uh, and uh, surgical treatment. One of similar studies was done is in uh, Finland already and a lot of people crossed over to the surgical study and they proved that surgical repair was getting people faster but still we don't know if do you operate someone just to gain three four weeks if he doesn't need surgery mm -hmm. that's still a question uh, a little bit ethical but on the other hand if you have someone who is get needs to get ready for the world cup four weeks can be crucial crucial yeah, yeah exactly so, so then you don't it basically it's a, not such a big surgery mutilating surgery so you can always do it it's a reinforcement of the of the wall you do hernia repairs for for babies when they have a small hernia so it's not something that is uh, a huge surgery and change, changes your life in any way. Yeah, a friend of mine has um, two kids uh, and they uh, already had uh, uh, hernia. So, uh, and they were like three years old. So, uh, they, they, I think they operated them and, and put this uh, mesh. So, what, what's the cause of that? Well, mesh would be, for small kids, it would be really... Uh, I, I don't know, I'm just... Yeah, yeah maybe. I'm, I'm probably wrong, but what's but the reason for the that? The reason is uh, you have the uh, how the her hernia develops. Uh, the scrotum, uh, the, the testicle comes to the scrotum from the from the inside the abdomen and goes through the... Uh, with the, what we call processus vaginalis, which is like a, a, a extension of the peritoneum. Yeah. And this is what is one of the envelopes of, of the testicle. So, this canal usually obliterates but in 20% of people it stays patent, it stays open so this is where you can have internal... Uh, what about the girls? Like uh, th These were girls? Girls? Small girls with, with hernias, that, that would be more for a question for a pediatric surgeon but uh, uh, in girls you have, uh, because hernia itself is like a 7 to 1 ratio in mm. favor for men and uh, but for girls in, they usually have femoral hernias. Maybe these girls have a collagen deficiency, which you just know. measured because uh, <laughs> you can have. It's I just mentioned it since yeah. you since you uh, said that it's common also and frequent and common and frequent operation with uh, small babies as well. It's, it's not so frequent, but it happens. I'm just saying. Yeah. And people do it, and then babies have normal life. So if you have a grown-up athlete and you need to do surgery, and you are thinking, should I do it or not? Even if you operate, it's not such a big change in the homeopathy of the body or whatever so it's a 
Well, it's not little, that aggressive. You can say a little reinforcement of the muscles okay. if he continues with his life. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's let's continue with a couple of questions um, from the readers. Uh, one question is that how, um, or actually why, why is it seems that there's a you know increase in uh, these symptoms in uh, elite sports, and uh, what about uh, the pediatric age groups? What, why is what's causing it? What, what are your thoughts about it? Why is the increase? Maybe, well, it could be different contributing factors. First, maybe uh, we put more, uh, we are recognizing it more and more. Maybe you had people before just ending their career because so just there was awareness. no and, yeah, yeah. awareness and we tried to treat it. There's more and more uh, advancing treatment, so uh, people get treated more and uh, we see more patients. Second, uh, nowadays, uh, with m more and more money involved with the sports, every injury becomes more and more significant than before. Third thing, nowadays uh, we know that the highest level athletes are submitted to much more workload and more and more games than before, and more matches and uh, uh, less recovery time. So this can be one of the factors. Uh, and about uh, the pediatric age group, we just also uh, came to a theory, it's a, uh, after work from uh, our colleague Matthew Sally, who worked in the uh, Aspire Academy as a Aspire physician, uh, that uh, uh, in pediatric age group, uh, adductor-related groin pain, especially insertional pain, is uh, almost similar to uh, different uh, teenage apophysitis problems, and like Oswald-Slatter, similar, and uh, that in instead of loading the tendon for healing you have to have a different approach you have to rest the tendon in this case you need you need rest because it's not the tendon problem it's the apophysis it's where the the bone grows the growth uh, the growth plate uh, and due to stress it doesn't close properly and it's uh, there's like an inflammatory response and this is what is causing pain so in this case because it's not the tendon which is the problem if you if the problem is the bone then you need to rest so and it's uh, very important to know that uh, uh, the pubic bone apophysis where the adductors insert are the almost last ones to close to fuse completely so they can be open until 23 even in some cases 25 years of age so whenever you have an athlete who has who is 21 22 and you do uh, exercise treatment and he doesn't get better and you need and, to check you for see, that and you, you of course we always do we do an x-ray for all athletes in the, the I mean 99.9 percent .9 it would be uh, unremarkable but I would never want to treat someone and then end up having someone with a with a tumor a silent tumor and you treated him for a tendinopathy so and one x-ray is not too much radiation so it's not a big deal you need to get that off the list exactly so you do an x-ray of uh, pelvis and both hips and you see if there's any FAA impingement and you see if there's any changes on the bones and then of course you can do ultrasound which is also not expensive and uh, very uh, much available for everyone and you can check the adductor tendons you can check the, the, the bulging in the inguinal canal and then if something's not going like in the the way you would like you can always do an MRI which uh, shows the muscles move better and especially you can see the iliopsoas muscles also the adductors and uh, uh, even the inguinal canal and the pubic bone stress etc so this is about uh, when we talk about imaging so when you do imaging you can see the that the apophysis if they're not closed 
maybe give them if there's a, especially younger than 20 just give them rest it's a different approach because uh, and I would never fight for a, a junior athlete to get back in uh, two or three months give him over six months to come back because you don't want to ruin his career yeah exactly short term versus long term goal exactly. yeah, yeah um, uh, Stefan asked a question uh, about the um, connection between breathing uh, breathing patterns uh, and the and deep uh, deep pelvis uh, tissues and um, and um, if, if the breathing is related to that and he also mentioned if there's relationship be- between that the breathing and uh, discus hernias and uh, and uh, sacrolumbar area issues okay uh, breathing I think is is important in which terms uh, I read a paper it's difficult I cannot uh, remember at the mo- moment the author but uh, the paper was about uh, dif- the involvement of different abdominal muscles in different uh, uh, maneuvers you can say and you can see that uh, they, they did an EMG study, muscle, uh, muscle activation analysis, and you can see that there is a different uh, muscle activation in terms of when you uh, draw in, uh, like doing a core stability exercise, or uh, when you go to the toilet and you have defecation, and we also have muscle straining in the abdo- of the ab- abdomen, but there's different uh, types of activation what I'm trying to say is bracing yes the abdominal wall is not only the abdominal muscles what we call the abdominal the core is also the diaphragm which is the uh, if you look at the the core the abdomen as a box you have the the roof is the diaphragm and you have the pelvic muscles as as the floor and then you have the anterior muscles like rectus abdominis then you have lateral muscles which are the the obliques and then you have the posterior wall with iliopsoas and then the quadratus lumborum and the other muscles, multifidus, which is also very important. So, is uh, discus hernia related to to groin pain? Uh, discus hernia or some kind of uh, low back pain can be related because if it impairs the the activation of the multifidus muscle, does it uh, is it so significant for pelvic stability? If it is, then it can it can be like a vicious circle, a little bit of impaired of one muscle affecting the other muscles and then you don't have the contraction of the lateral abdominal wall and you always have to remember that the lateral abdominal wall goes from the from the from the back and forward towards the rectus abdominis and inserts on the pubic tubercle so you can have probably uh, you can have uh, inguinal related groin pain starting from from this also uh, sacroiliac joint can is a it's a good point can be uh, related to uh, the cause of pain because if you have a little bit of uh, restriction in mobility of the sacroiliac joint. It is what uh, Professor Myers in uh, his work uh, and also Dr. Kugat uh, are advocating that uh, uh, you have the concept of the pubic, uh, the, the pelvic joint, which is uh, the pubic symphysis on anteriorly and the sacroiliac joint posteriorly. So the whole pelvic complex of the bo- of bones is uh, like the pelvic joint with these three joint surfaces which are very uh, you have very small movement in these joints but uh, they have to 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 have this one to three degree of freedom for yeah. freedom otherwise if, if they're stiff that stiffness can uh, probably relate to some other uh, muscle impairment and uh, muscle activation patterns and then you can have uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, people or athletes that complain about low back pain might have uh, sacroiliac issues 
uh, not only uh, uh, low back uh, mm -hmm. problems, but that's probably another story. Uh, Armando asked about the uh, lymphatic and uh, lower body circulatory problems, uh, also vi uh, visceral uh, dysfunctions, nutrition, and um, weight uh, in, in, in groin related pain. So I think this is more holistic question. Yeah, it's a uh, of course. I mean, when you when you talk about that, do we talk about general population or we talk about athletes? If we talk about athletes, then you shouldn't have overweight weight athletes, and you should have people who have enough rest, who have uh, proper nutrition, and then these things should be out of question. Should be young people with good arteries. If you have a healthy lifestyle, no smoking, uh, they're not diabetic, etc. It doesn't affect the arteries. Uh, lymph drainage. I, w I wouldn't be an expert on this topic. Maybe it, it has something to do with it, uh, but this is more for uh, massage experts to see if with massage and uh, 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 enhancing limb, dra limb drainage you can add up to recovery and then probably if you can re uh, I mean speed up the recovery time, probably you can uh, do it's like a prevention treatment for many injuries, including the groin injury. But like I said, for a sacroiliac joint and this uh, small uh, degree of freedom that is necessary, it's probably not so important for a normal person. But for an athlete who has a million repetitions of every movement, and if it's not a perfect movement, if it's a little bit of restriction, if, you, if it accumulates, if you multiply with the number of repetitions, then it's not a small degree, it's a huge degree yeah, of, exactly. of this It's function. like comparing a Honda Civic and a Ferrari. Ferrari. So yeah. if you have a small... Uh, imbalance in chassis in yeah. uh, Honda Civic doesn't matter because the velocities you reach are exactly. low compared to but a racing you, car or Ferrari. So if every if you put a Ferrari engine in the Honda Civic, it's gonna blow up, or, or maybe you <laughs> end up out of the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, last question from Brian, and I think we ans already answered his first question is um, uh, training options for general health and function in in those regions. As you said, mostly uh, adductor uh, adductor uh, strength. Uh, flexibility for me core stability core stability, core stability I think is whatever sport you play core stability is like I would be like a priest uh, advocating core stability because uh, when you watch look at the kinematic chain in any sport if it's throwing if it's kicking the ball if it's uh, everything goes through in, a like core. A, a basketball with a jump shot you have to have a, a core stability to facilitate this otherwise you'll always have a weak link that is going through the speaking of that and I'll come back to Brian uh, Brian second part of the question is that uh, we usually train the, the core when you are relaxed you know everything is nice we can play some nice music in the gym when we do those uh, active uh, recovery sessions or whatever but uh, we usually don't train the core when we are breathing heavily when you're tired uh, so breathing heavily and then uh, doing some core exercises might re-educate because you don't want to see those when you breathe you don't want to see those fluctuations in activity of the muscles so you know we, we might as a strength conditioning coaches we might try to do those I would call it I would say in a more challenging environment when you're tired when you're tired when you're breathing heavily so let's say instead of just doing core exercises when you are you know warming up and you know in a cool down we might uh, inject those exercises, let, let's say we, when you play a small-sided game, you're breathing heavily, you're in a contact, then we can, you know, do those when you are actually tired. So then you need to control when you are tired. So um, I, I think it's a very nice concept because uh, probably the majority of injuries 
any kind of injury happens during uh, near the end of the game because and if you anybody played any sport you know from yourself that once you're tired your reasoning, your reasoning is not good enough and then and, and you shoot instead of passing and just to to finish the 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 action faster and uh, because uh, if you're not thinking properly your reaction time is slower and not only reaction time in terms of uh, uh, skill demands for the for the game it's also reaction time in terms of uh, micro adjustments in the body so, activating okay. some muscles so probably you get more ACL injuries near the end of the game when the the, the muscles are tired and then then they don't correct the 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 dangerous positions as soon as, as they need to probably in the in the groin pain you have these micro trauma episodes and if if you don't uh, activate all the muscles in the right way if you, especially like you said it's it's a good uh, plan if you if you train this when you are tired and you're breathing heavily but you still have maintain your core stability this will reflect on the game and then at the end of the game when you're breathing heavily your core will still function and then you wouldn't have these jerking movements small jerky movements in the muscle attachments where you have a micro trauma that, that, yeah, that can, makes that sense go, go to yeah the last uh, part of the brain question and we're gonna f- finish up with this uh, is uh, treatment options for deep hip flexor uh, calcific can't even read <laughs> deep hip flexor calcific tendinosis it's a iliopsoas calcification that's uh, more for an orthopedic surgeon uh, I would consult a hip surgeon for this but first you try and try with uh, whatever treatment modality you can do uh, I can relate this to sometimes you have uh, in the shoulder supraspinatus uh, calcifications and when you see these calcifications on uh, on the x-ray you think it's like uh, almost like a, a stone something very hard but uh, d- during surgery sometimes when you just with needle when you open the tendon it's just like some powder that goes away and probably with the advance of hypertroscopy you can be you can uh, reach these muscles and uh, after failed conservative treatment if nothing else works uh, with uh, uh, deep tissue massage uh, I mean uh, uh, pressure treatment uh, uh, dry needling whatever you can do and if nothing works then you can uh, try with uh, hip surgery arthroscopic hip surgery to reach the they can do it sometimes you can even do some people uh, did the uh, tenotomy of the iliopsoas muscles in terms of uh, severe hip contractures this is a different thing not related to sport mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I to be honest I wouldn't attempt uh, any surgery on the iliopsoas muscle unless we really did an extensive uh, conservative treatment program and if it really affects the the quality of life and the performance and it's there's nothing else you can do and you have to do something then maybe you would and you have the the validation of the calcification on the x-ray and the, or MRI then you would probably have to do something sometimes you can also do a, a, a peritendinous uh, cortisone injection because also sometimes you can have a, a iliopsoas bursitis and an inflamed bursa that doesn't uh, resolve with conservative treatment then you do a cortisone injection and it might help but of course like with all cortisone injections you have to be very careful it can be short-term relief of pain and uh, 
the worst thing that people can do is after cortisone injection because the pain goes away to start training immediately it should be uh, utilized just as a as a mean to facilitate rehabilitation and physiotherapy exercises but not to go to reduce the pain then go go and play because then you just have a, a bigger problem after when it, the you make the, it worse yeah <laughs> you you uh, mentioned and i'm just going to quickly ask you about this uh, deep tissue massage uh, there are some uh, treatments especially in the track and field they have a, a, a massage therapist uh, on the track and he's doing a uh, usually a, a pre-track workout massage or um, uh, I don't know how they call it they call it a track uh, masseur or track therapist uh, and sometimes they do a deep tissue massage and they call it a, a psoas release so uh, house how smart is that and you know what what are you actually affecting like can you actually affect the uh now we have this um fascia is like a hot topic at the moment and everybody's talking about fascial trains and uh and myers and um, deep tissue massage and uh and um, fascial releases and self myofascial releases and how can we you know are we actually affecting the fascia with the massage or foam rolling or whatever it's it's more a question for a, for an expert in physiotherapy but uh, i would uh, answer this with another comment uh, first if you never did something i would i wouldn't try it on a during the competition yeah Because exactly it, you, it, you, can, you, <laughs> you don't wear new shoes on competition exactly <laughs> uh, second thing if you have an athlete who has a short hip flexors or uh, shortened hamstrings very tight etc but he's 28 year old years old and had his career already playing since he was a kid and never was injured and now a, a new hot uh, physiotherapist comes and screens everyone says oh but you have short muscles now we'll correct this and then maybe you get put him into a risk of injury because he's if he's 28 or 30 why would you correct something that doesn't give any problem don't correct if it's not broken exactly <laughs> so uh that's something that, like i said for i could just uh, uh discuss this through a uh, general medical and sports knowledge but uh it should be it's probably it's a hot topic between physiotherapists uh if you have uh if you have normal muscles and then you have before the competition pain and then there's a, a shortened muscle and you need to do something probably there are ways to release it but just as a form of treatment not less uh, as a form of uh, doing for everyone and uh, yeah exactly uh yeah we, we're gonna finish up with that one um last question just general question is uh where can uh, coaches and athletes fi- find more information about you and where they can also find more um information about the, the topics we mentioned uh and if you have any good sources you can suggest to applied uh, settings applied you know coaches and physical therapists working in the field uh I would just say uh, we have uh, in Aspeter we have uh, our Aspeter journal which is uh, uh, we have four editions and it's free I think right free of charge and you have it uh, free online so you just uh, go to Aspeter website uh, you'll find the link to the journal and then you have all the interviews and all the the papers written which are more not scientific papers it's more for general population more applied applied, yes. applied uh, papers from high level experts in different topics and i think it's uh, something very interesting interesting for every sports and healthcare professional working in sports 
and uh, and if we talk and there was also one one sometimes we have targeted topic editions of us but aside from these four uh, as uh, journals and then you have different articles uh, discussing only one problem and we had uh, one about growing pain editorial is it called editorial it's, uh, it, it's target no targeted topic mm-hmm. journal so uh, editorial is the thing that they write at the beginning but uh, it's targeted topic growing pain or targeted topic tennis injuries or uh, whatever so uh, and you can find it on the on the Aspeter As- As- website and also on YouTube you have Aspeter uh, YouTube uh, channel, channel yeah. and uh, there's there you can there you can find you know, just the type uh, Aspeter Growing Pain Conference 2014 on YouTube you can find almost all the lectures that we had during three days of uh, conference again with high level experts yeah I'll make sure to post uh, to post those links on yeah. uh, on our website uh, anyway we are um, I want to thank Jarko for um, you know giving us some of his free time he's here in we are currently here in, in Belgrade in a uh, in a Zvezdara forest you can hear uh, some kids screaming and maybe some cars passing by uh some flies or birds sorry about that um, but it's a great uh, ambient to uh, to talk about these topics anyway I want to thank Jarko for uh, for all this insightful information and for his time uh, thanks a lot I'm pretty sure uh, the listeners uh, learn a couple of things and they, they enjoy the uh, the interview thanks a lot thank you very much and I'm uh, happy that we have so many people interested in this topic I think uh, working together all of us strength and conditioning uh, experts uh, physiotherapists sports medicine doctors general surgeons orthopedic surgeons uh, we can and and involving athletes with their experiences we can uh, reach some conclusions and have some more scientific studies from different uh, uh, looking at the problem from different angles and I'm li- really looking forward to this thank you very much for your interest and uh, it was a pleasure to uh, share my time with you